The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Video games, the gaming podcast that strives the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the Mike Durnt and Trey Cool of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who is always the master of his universe, Josh. How are you doing? Did you not change the last half of that? <laughs> no, I didn't change the last half of that. I was going to make it. I realized that as I was going through the intro, I was like, oh, I never changed the part about and made that related to Green Day in any way, shape, or form. But hey, it's okay. how I, are you doing, sir? I, I'm always the master of my own universe, still. <laughs> well, if I was the master of my own universe, it would be better. So maybe I must not be. Uh, I'm fine. How are you doing? <laughs> I am swell. We are recording on a, a Sunday morning for us, mm. which means my voice sounds a little, I, th- I think, a little more sultry, but I guess we'll have to see as the day goes, as the podcast goes on. So, <laughs> so a weird compliment to start off the show. <laughs> well, I just, that's what I feel like. I feel like my morning voice is my sultry voice, so sure. we'll see. But Mike Dirt and Trey Cool are both excellent musicians in their own right. Green Day is best known because of their charismatic and talented lead singer, Billy Joe Armstrong. And providing that much-needed shot of showmanship to this episode is none other than William Herkovitz. William, welcome back to the show, sir. Glad to be back, guys. Kyle, I like to hear that your voice is sultry this early, like audible chocolate. (laughs) Audible chocolate? I'm, I'm writing that down. I'm going to use that in the future. I'm outnumbered on this. (laughs) (laughs) So, William, we have been fortunate enough to have you on the show before, but it's it's been a while. So if we have, I mean, ideally, we have some new listeners since the last time you were on. Can you give us just a brief rundown of who you are and how awesome you are? Yeah, thanks. So I'm William Herkovitz. Uh, I am the Toys and Games columnist for Popular Mechanics Magazine, and I also do our uh, ongoing best board game list, top 50 board games for Popular Mechanics, which is uh, popular in certain circles. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to be back. Well, so we are... Also- <laughs> oh, man. Well, we are very happy to have you back. And yes, as you alluded to, you do have your nice list of the 50 best board games um, on Popular Mechanics, which, you know, Josh and I have have sung the praises of that list many times, though we're going to have a conversation about some of those changes you made to that list here in a little bit. That sounds like fighting words. I am ready. I mean, I don't know if they're fighting words. They're, they're, I, have some, I have some questions. That, that is what I will say, is I have some questions. Whereas I'm sure Josh will be very nice about it. I think the list is great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to get through some housekeeping here quick. Uh, Metafall is going on now, dear listeners. So for all the rules and to enter, head to bit.ly slash Metafall and just enter your predictions for the Metacritic score for some of the hottest games releasing this fall. The list of 10 games is on that site, and whomever, whomever guesses closest 
will win some great prizes. Please enter. Tell your friends to enter. Uh, we have a solid number of entries thus far, but we'd love some more. So make sure if you have not entered, head to bit.ly slash metafall, all lowercase, because that matters with bit.ly stuff. Uh, thanks so much for joining us this week. As always, if you do have any feedback, questions, suggested topics, hit us up at BoardWithVG on Twitter or check out all the awesome stuff on the Instagram, also Board with Video Games. And we're a proud part of Play Some Video Games and PSVG is on Patreon. We're absolutely thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far. And if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG. But the most important thing is just that you listen and maybe share our podcast with someone else who you think might enjoy it as well. And we're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network. So if you enjoy our conversations about board games, which this episode will be very focused on, and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast, as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that is right for you. So with the housekeeping out of the way... I have selected some stories this week that were picked specifically because of who our guest is. So we're just going to go through a few news stories. We'll talk a little bit about what we've been playing and jump into a whole bunch of conversations with William. But Josh, what are some of these interesting stories in the board game world this week? Well, let's start with, uh, I don't remember if I told the story when Emerson, if I had Emerson tell the story when he was on or if it was the conversation I had with Emerson. But um, when he was... Uh, brought on to do the Metal Gear Solid board game from IDW. Um, They got that right to make that game in like a bundle of IPs that IDW acquired. Um, And we're kind of learning more about which games those were. And we just learned the other day that uh, Bomberman and Contra are both being published by IDW Games now. Um, Blacklist Games is going to do a cooperative one-to-four player game inspired by Contra. They made games like, like specifically, Street Masters, Brook City, and Alter Quest, which are, I think, very uh, highly praised games. Um, and I think Street Masters is basically <clears throat> their like, proof of we can do a video game board game because it's essentially a Street Fighter, King of Fighters style of game. Um <coughs> They, there's not a lot of info on these games yet. Uh, Bomberman, uh, the game, is a competitive and sometimes cooperative game, so we don't really know how they're going to to implement that into a board game. But I don't know. Are you guys interested in Contra and Bomberman as a board game? Did you guys play the Centipede or Missile Command board games? Because <laughs> are we thinking the same idea? So the reason I specifically put this on here is I'm not necessarily excited about either of these games, (laughs) but I want to know from William, if he had to guess between the Contra game, the Bomberman game and the Final Fantasy game, which is kind of the next story that's wrapped into this is that there's going to be a Chocobo board game as well. Which one is most likely to end up on his list of 50 best board games (laughs) based on IP alone, William? I would have to say probably Bomberman, only because the theme of running around and screwing over your friends is just, that's just like, it's, <laughs> it's the perfect recipe for a wonderful board game. No, you know, honestly, these, uh, 
you can take anything and turn it into a board game and it can either be a totally garbage game or it can be amazing. Right now I'm looking at on my table, I have a, a copy of Jaws, which you know has taken a little bit of time to make its way from movie theaters onto the tabletop. But this one's supposed to be great. So if Jaws can be a great board game, I don't see why anything can. I can confirm Jaws is great. I played it on the beach, which made it even greater. <laughs> so that was a quick answer to that. That was a quick answer. It's definitely bottom okay, I'm, definitely. In fact, I'm going to say everything else will be trash. <laughs> Bomberman for the win. Okay, so apparently don't worry about the Ch- Contra game or the Chocobo game. Only hey, Bomberman. Chocobo, it's called Chocobo Party Up. I th- I think this game looks very good. Looks. I don't know about the play style. Um, but it seems really interesting. I mean, am I the only Chocobo fan? I mean... <laughs> I, I'm like I guess I'm, I'm indifferent to chocobos. I think that's a solid yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. That's okay. The, I'm used to being the only fan of lots of things, so this is just another one to add to that list. I mean, I think it's I think it's just hard to to get really hyped about a board game based solely on its theme because I've seen that go wrong so many different ways. I think yes. maybe the next thing that we're going to talk about is based on the publisher. I feel like that or the designer, that's something that I'm I'm more easily able to buy into the hype. I'm glad you mentioned that because I have an important question to ask you about the next thing. So Stonemaier Games announced a new Civ game. It's called Tapestry. Uh, it is designed by the Jamie Stegmeier. He, he kind of hinted at he was doing a Civilization game when he was on um, the podcast. And my question, before we even get into the game, because this is getting so much hype already on the internet, is this game only getting hype because of Wingspan? I mean, what, let's go through the list of what the other Stonemeyer games are. I don't have them off the top of my head, but I know that the, I mean... Oh, we have Scythe. Scythe. That's a big one. Viticulture. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, and I also have Viticulture, and I have the new expansion on my table right now. I mean, Scythe, Viticulture, Wingspan, these are amazing games. Just yeah. based on that alone, I think the hype is worth it. Good. I like that answer. I, like that answer. I agree with you. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting. I saw people kind of sliding the game like right from get-go just because it's by Stonemeyer, And I'm not sure if those are people who still haven't gotten Wingspan and are mad about it or what. Um, but let's get into Tapestry, okay? This game, it's a one-to-five player civilization game, plays in about 90 to 120 minutes. Uh, now, maybe I misheard this. Kyle, maybe you can correct me. Did Jamie say that there's four pages of rules and that's it? Yes, that is what he said. There's a four-page rule book. Okay, so that's crazy, first of all. I, that means nothing until you know what the font size is. Maybe it's yeah. like, like two. <laughs> four pages of rules included with a magnifying glass. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, still, that's crazy. Even so, I mean, so it works for games like uh, the Century series, you mm-hmm. know, one double-sided rule book, but arguably this is a five times, five longer, times game. longer game. So, right, right. 
Um, it does have Andrew Bosley doing the art. If you know Andrew Bosley from Everdell, you will know that his art is phenomenal. And what else, Kyle? What can you tell well, us about Tapestry? I think the interesting thing, have you, as I've, I have either of you, wow, speaking is challenging this morning. Have either of you watched the um, Watch It Play or the rules guide of this yet? Rodney Harrison? Yeah. I haven't watched no, no. it. So the setup alone is, I think, six or seven minutes of the video. <laughs> so, yes, it's very simple in that there's four pages of rules, but the amount of variety of setup in and of itself to me was just kind of a little overwhelming. I literally watched the setup of it and said, okay, I think I'm good for now. I, I know what I need to know. I'm still very interested in this game, but I think the... I think by saying there's four pages of rules is trying to make it seem not very complex. But when you just watch the setup of the game, immediately you recognize that this isn't some super simple take on a Civ game. It seems very much like a deep strategic Civ game that maybe just is a, a touch streamlined in certain areas to make getting going a little easier. Um, the thing I'm most interested actually in is the name. Because when I hear the name Tapestry, I don't think of a sim of a Civ game. Am I the only one running into that issue, William? Am I just am I off no, my rocker I, on that? I think it's something very similar to Azul. If I was just kind of hearing the name Tapestry, am I right? Right. Yeah. So again, not a problem. I, I think that's totally fine, and the art looks great. Um, but I, the name it just throws me off a little bit that is that it is a Civ game and it's called Tapestry. So. I mean, there are a lot of board games out now, and I'm sure you can, you, once a board game has a name, that's it. That board game has it. So at this point, I'm sure all these designers are struggling to get good names. It's natural. So. That's probably true. <laughs> that's probably a very excellent point. Unfortunately, Civilization is already taken as a name. So. <laughs> all right. Last board game news is the last one. Yep. Yeah. It's quick. It's a quick one. Um. The game that, what do we say? The game that keeps growing grows some more. Yeah. Uh, or something like that. A legendary uh, upper deck, uh, legendary Marvel, however you want to say it. It's all over the place. Uh, they're releasing another expansion. It's called Revelations. It looks to feature the Mandarin as the villain. We have War Machine, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch as new heroes. And, I mean... Do we need to cover more than that? It's more legendary Marvel. Uh, have you... So, Kyle, I don't remember if I've ever asked you if you played this, um, but I guess Kyle and William, have you guys played legendary a Marvel deck-building game? I oh, have. I'll go ahead, William. <laughs> yeah, no, I've never played legendary before. What makes it unique? Uh, well, at this point... It, it's not as unique as it was when it came out because everyone's kind of borrowed from it. Um, what makes it unique in general is it takes like the deck building aspect of uh, maybe an ascension and adds in a constant threat of a villain who's um, potentially acting on every turn against you. So you're recruiting heroes with um, recruit tokens. You're fighting um, uh, villain groups and henchmen groups in the city 
while they're trying to overcome the city and and capture bystanders, uh, all the while a villain that you set up is also scheming in the background. So certain cards will pop up as you draw from the deck that activate a scheme or mastermind ability, uh, which will affect basically how you play your game. And uh, each hero, you start with five heroes out of a possible probably 150 choices now with all the expansions. Um, And like some of them work as groups. So like if you play with Guardians of the Galaxy characters, they have abilities that work better with other Guardians characters. Um, When we used to play, we would randomly just draw heroes because we thought it was more fun that way and um i don't know it's it's still i think a very good game i don't think the legendary encounters games captured what the marvel game did when it came out um i could still play it very easily the problem is especially like for people who haven't played this game before i don't know that i could recommend a jumping on point at this at this junction because there's so many expansions i even have gotten expansions as gifts in the past few years that I haven't even touched because I didn't know if I should introduce them to my main set that has thousands of cards or do I try to play them as standalones? Well, and it's kind of cool because it does do the mostly cooperative part, right? Where you can play the game as a straight co-op, yeah. but you technically can have a quote unquote winner at the end if everyone wins together you can still have a person who has the most points yeah it's whoever like kill the most <clears throat> villains they have like associated victory points but right. even the game itself is like you win it you win if you both defeat the mastermind right and the i like legendary i when you go to upper decks page right now on the legendary page there are 28 different entries yeah that's... So it, there's a lot of expansions, but there's also, you know, Legendary Buffy and then Legendary Encounters, the X-Files. So there's a whole lot of different things that are that are tied in there. But I I don't play this game as much anymore because the setup and the takedown is just so laborious. It yeah. is so tedious to set this game up that if they could figure out a way to streamline it better, uh, I think it probably would get to the table much more often. I haven't played it probably in almost two years at this point. It's been a long time since I've played Legendary just because do I want to spend half of our total game time setting up and taking down the game? And that's basically what it comes down to, I feel like. Yes. It is very laborious to set up. So, but so that's... I was going to say, so setting a game... (laughs) <laughs> this is fun. I'm sorry, sorry, I keep interrupting you. Go, go ahead. No, I was going to ask you. I was going to say. So, does that sound like a a thing that you want to play, William? Is a game that you know half the time is setting it up and taking it down. I mean, are you telling me that you can play as Mulder and Scully working with Captain America and the Hulk? Technically, yes. They made a way to combine the Legendary Encounters games with the Marvel games. You yeah. can even have aliens and predators in your game as well. So it can yeah. be Alien versus Predator versus Agent Mulder. I think it might be worth it, even if you just have to spend <laughs> half your time setting everything up. Yeah, because there's Legendary, and then there's Legendary Encounters. And most of the Encounters ones tend to be, uh, like, there's X-Files, Alien, Predator, that kind of stuff. But then there's still just Legendary games that don't have the Encounters that are Buffy and Big Trouble in Little China. And Firefly. <laughs> and Firefly. So there's a lot of different 
variations it but yeah technically you you can mix them all together if you really want to i mean i guess the question i have for you guys is, so this is a game that came out in 2012 how many times have either of you broken it out in the last let's say two years oh, <laughs> zero <laughs> yeah zero i played it a lot when it first came out yeah yeah and even probably the first oof, three years or so because this is a game i got pretty close to release but i haven't played it probably in two years at this point yep so yeah and i'm not sure if the expansion makes it worth breaking out especially because you know you have these really fascinating uh new games that'll come out that'll set the tone or introduce mechanics that you then see reverberating throughout the board game world and then at a certain point going back to those original games they've they've aged in a way that you you, you come across I, I imagine based on if you haven't played in the last two years it sounds like that might be the same thing for legendary yeah i think so probably would you agree josh i think so so. I think so. All right. Well, we're going to keep on trucking here. We're going to talk very briefly about a little bit of video game news. Story number one being, uh, Josh, remember when I was really, really excited about the <laughs> Uncharted movie for like four months? I remember me telling you not to get excited I because know. <laughs> this I movie is in trouble. I know. I don't know what my, why I was so excited. So, dear listener, as you may have heard, Dan Trachtenberg is the latest director to leave the Uncharted film. Uh, Dan Trachtenberg, who is the director of 10 Cloverfield Lane, and also a very, very large video game player and fan. When he signed on to the project, I, I was very confident that this project was going to do swell. Uh, but now I'm a little less confident in that, i.e. a lot less confident. Though the other that news also indicates that uh, Sony's new PlayStation Productions is taking over this movie, and it will no longer be a quote-unquote Sony Films movie, but it will now be developed by PlayStation Productions. William, are you a fan of the Uncharted series? Do you like video game movies? What are your thoughts? Do you care at all about this news? What are your thoughts on it? Okay, I got just two two film-related words I want to say to you guys. Warcraft. <laughs> And the second one, I guess, is actually two words, Tomb Raider. I feel like it's very difficult to move from the video game medium to a film, just in the same way that I had some skepticism about uh, these various board games that are coming out with, uh, you know, that are from the video game world. Uh, I am not a big fan of the Uncharted uh, series of games only because I haven't played them, but... The track record of uh, video games making their way onto the silver screen is it's not great. It's not great, Kyle and Josh. That's right. Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Doom. <laughs> what are you, why do you hate that Doom? What was wrong with Doom? They had a first-person sequence, and there's that Go line. <laughs> there's that line where they talk about how smart the thing is, and they go, if it's so smart, why is it so dead? I mean, come on. That's such good filmmaking. I don't know what the problem is. I mean, I want that on my gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but but on the plus side, Warcraft still made like a ton of money, didn't it? In China. China's part of the world. Why does sure. it matter that it was in China? Why don't we just make any movie if China's going to spend $700 billion watching it? <laughs> that, why do you think a lot of movies get made? Why do you think every hey, The Rock movie gets made? <laughs> I 100% agree with you. That's why current Spider-Man, according to Game Informer, is Tom Holland. So maybe they didn't have enough staff to update this article. And two, he's he might not be the current Spider-Man anymore. No, he's still, he's still <laughs> Spider-Man. He's signed up for two more movies still. With with these with MCU, no, 
he signed on with Sony. His contract's with Sony. He signed on with Sony? Yeah, his contract's with Sony. Okay, well, at least this is Sony doing this because, you know, who knows what's going to happen now. Yeah, he said at D23 that he's he is signed on for two more movies still, so... He also said, I love you 3000. He did say, I love you 3000. <laughs> so anyway, we're not a, we're not a movie podcast. Josh. Uh, right now I am. <laughs> I'm so mad. So, all right. Moving on to the next story. Apex Legends developers, uh, things are getting a little <laughs> heated in the world of Apex Legends. So there was some, I didn't, I don't want to necessarily go into all of the things that happened because I partially don't want to give some things oxygen, but in general, uh, the, there's a very active Reddit community uh, for Apex Legends, and the developers kind of got into it um, with some of the members of that community and maybe said some things that were potentially inappropriate for developers to say to fans, but maybe not, depending on how, how, you're, how you are looking at it. Um, so Vince Zampella, who oversees Respawn, came out with a tweet saying, hey, basically, you know, discussions got a little overheated. Our apologies, you know, for the way that we treated our community. We're going to work on doing better in the future. So my question, starting with you, William, you know, gaming, whether it be video games or board games, communities can be, I'll say, passionate. Is there is there a restriction on the way developers should respond when sometimes that passion has led to them getting, oh, you know, death threats and things like that? Are we... Are we giving too much credence to the way the community acts and holding developers to too strict a standard for their responses? Well, I definitely think there should be less death threats generally, especially in the, uh, the board game and video game and film and whatever communities. Um, I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Kyle? I, I am in general. I, I go back and forth on this because I think obviously from a business standpoint is probably a good idea to deliver quote unquote good customer service. However, I also think that if people are being unreasonable and not nice in the way they're being unreasonable, I think it's okay for you to maybe be a little quote unquote unreasonable back. That's just my thought at least. And maybe that's wrong and maybe that's unpopular, but I don't think you should have to deal with a ton of crap just because you are the person who develops a product. Yeah, I think that's fair. Josh, thoughts? Have you sent Apex developers any death threats lately? <laughs> well, here's my thoughts. Someone who's worked collectively 20 years in retail for, in my former life, <clears throat> um, you can't be honest with your customer base. Eat especially if they are what they were called by Respawn. You are selling a product. Your customer your customer isn't always right, but you have to treat them like they are. So, yeah, death threats are terrible. You save the insults for company meetings. Save them for private conversations because... If I'm standing at the customer service desk at Best Buy and I tell a customer what I might really think of them, death threats might happen <laughs> before that. Uh, I've seen things, I've seen terrible things happen from customers to employees and those and people are trying to be nice and help people. You have to understand that you're providing 
a service and you're trying to make money from that. And if you insult your customer base, you could lose them. So I guess it depends on what's more important to you. And are you making that decision for yourself or for a whole company? So if I made a statement on, say, Board of Video Games had 50 employees and we got, and I was really mad about a comment that someone made and I decided to speak on behalf of us and then I lose us 25 people on staff or whatever the case may be. That's like, this is someone speaking on behalf of Respawn who could potentially be costing them money because now maybe this player base actually follows through with a lot of usual empty threats, but uh, maybe they stop playing the game. Maybe they stop purchasing loot box. It's a free to play game. So there goes their income. So, I mean, you have to be constantly thinking of what your comments are going to, how they're going to affect other people, not just yourself. Because I could be, I could go out and be me on Twitter, not an employee of respawn and say my thoughts I think these people are terrible what they're doing to this company. And that's me being me. But if I come out as president of Respawn says, <laughs> our fan base are freeloaders and other way worse things, like maybe that's not a smart move. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> hey, William, have you been following the drama with Golden Bell Studios at all? No, I haven't. Okay, so <laughs> I won't say anything more about it then, other than maybe Respawn and Golden Bell Studios have the same customer service philosophy. So, all right. Oh, go ahead. Do you think, at least in the United States, we're at like a very interesting uh, crossroads when it comes to acts of violence. So I can see how, I don't, even if the developers weren't right, I can see how, like if you're receiving death threats and you know, you, everyone's watching the news, uh, that could that could maybe you know that would mess you up a little bit. Maybe you 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 wouldn't say the right thing just out of strictly fear. Yeah, yeah. no, that's unfortunately the sad state of the world we live in currently. So, final bit of news. So, Gamescom just happened, and there were some cool. We talked a little bit last week about some of the bigger things from Gamescom, but uh, Google Stadia had a Stadia Connect. And they announced, I think, another dozen games that were coming to Stadia, which arrives this November. But I didn't really know this happened and hadn't heard anything about it at all. Is Stadia losing steam already? How I get it, steam? Uh, is Stadia kind of on the downfall already? I, I don't hear people talking about it like they used to. Obviously, PSVG has their Stadia show who's very passionate about it. But this doesn't seem a thing that I feel like is getting as much press as maybe Google's hoping for. William, are you all in on Google Stadia? Do you have thoughts on it at all? I this is I'm gonna be honest, this is the first time I've ever heard of Google Stadia. Which I think that says something, to be totally <laughs> honest. So, Josh, is Stadia in trouble before it even launches, or are we all being dramatic? Well, William, Google Stadia is Google's new uh, uh, all streaming, uh, I don't want to call it a gaming platform, but it is similar to that. They released a thing uh, last year, Project Steam, Stream, geez, Project Stream, uh, for uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where you could play um, console or PC quality gaming in a web browser. And essentially, that's what this is. It uses the cloud to process. Um, 
the game you're playing. Uh, you also use cloud saving. Uh, what Stadia is going to allow you to do is uh, seamlessly play your game from uh, a Google Pixel phone to a tablet to uh, a PC to a TV with a Chromecast Ultra, I, I believe is what it is. Um, but you're not limited to like your PC specs anymore or your phone specs to play uh, like Xbox One quality games. So that's essentially what it does. They had like a big coming out party at E3 for it, like a release. Um, to answer Kyle's question, I don't think they're in trouble. I don't think it's going to get a lot of hype until it comes out. They're just announcing games that are coming to a service that people already know these games are games. So they're not like, it's not like a new game announcement. Like we're announcing a brand new game. They're just saying like, hey, you know how you, you're going to get Borderlands 3? Well, you could also play it on Stadia. I think most people assume these games are going to be available on Stadia. I think the bigger news would be like games that aren't playable on Stadia. That would be like the bigger story. Like, uh, hey, um, this game just came out. It's on all platforms except Stadia. And then people are like, oh, that's weird. I wonder why. Uh, so we just have to wait till November to see what Stadia is. And then that's where we'll see, I think, if Stadia sinks or swims. But I, I think that it being quiet now, people, the only people paying attention to Stadia are the people who want to right now because they're not dropping new information. Um, Do you think that Stadia is solving a problem that you have? Like, is there a point where you want to play a game, but you can't, and then you would be able to if you had Stadia? Yeah, for me, for me, that's a yes. Um, I know that that's not universal for everyone, but um, Stadia is going to solve, a, uh, for me, a few problems, I think. One is the ability to play with more people, like a broader uh, audience. So you, I'm not so worried necessarily about... Um, my buddy has this game on PC. I can't play it because I can't touch the specs of that game. Or like I played, tried the Division 2. In fact, someone bought me a copy of the Division 2 on PC and I just couldn't play it. I literally went out and tried to upgrade my PC and it does better, but I'm not able to play on their level. So I'm just missing out on that connection with friends. Um, and I think it's cool the ability to bring a game with me somewhere and I, all I need is my phone or a Chromecast. Like the amount of times I want to show my brother or my, my folks a game and not have to carry a console with me or like play Jackbox party pack at like a, a gathering or an event. I think it makes that much easier. Do I think it's for everyone? Absolutely not. Especially because it's still games as a service where you're paying a price to have the service. So it's not for everyone. Do I worry that it could go the way a lot of these other services have? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the entry point isn't that high. So 130 bucks gets me a controller, all the content to Destiny 2, including the expansions, and a Chromecast Ultra. So like, uh, entry-level investment is low uh, for me, and it includes a year of service. So... I'm not, or three months, I can't even remember how much it is at this point. It might be three months. Um, but for me, I think that's that's a pretty low uh, entry point. It's like way cheaper than buying a console. Um, and I've bought like Wii, Wii U consoles that I have never played. 
more than three months anyways. Uh, so I've definitely invested more, but that's not for like, that's like a first world problem. Like obviously everyone can't get in on Stadia at that. Well, and I think the important thing to note too is that November is kind of the the soft launch, if you will. It's where the premium services coming out that you have to pay to be a part of. There will be a free version of Stadia launching in 2020, but that if you just have any, basically any old controller that will hook up to a PC or whatever, you'd be able to use Stadia for free, you know, on your PC, but you do have to purchase the games, but you wouldn't have to pay for the service itself. It just throttles the, you know, you can only get 1080p instead of 4K and things like that. So this first initial launch is just for people who are paying for the more premium service. There will be a free version of the service later down the road. So, but I am not interested in Stadia, but it also doesn't solve a problem that I have. So, (laughs) but anyway... So that's it for the news. We are going to jump into some amazing topics because we are thrilled to have William on the show with us again. And for those of you kind of like William was talking about at the top who might be newer to the show, William curates the list and what we think is the definitive list of current best board games over at Popular Mechanics. Uh, And he updates it, was it every four months or so, William? Is that right? Yeah, usually three to four months. So... So we're going to go, there were some changes that just happened not that long ago, ago. and And I have some questions about some of these changes, William. Are you ready to face the gauntlet (laughs) of questions? Look, I just, before we get into this, I want you to know that you are fundamentally wrong. But yes, please ask me (laughs) questions. (laughs) So, okay, so some games that um, were removed, so 12 new games were added in june is that right uh i think that accounts for the games i added earlier this year and also okay. the games I had in june yeah okay so 12 new additions two and of those... those games are both our favorite games i know so here <laughs> here are the games that were removed from the list camel up century golem edition clank dead of winter dice forge five tribes mombasa nemo's war second edition now boarding super mother load the Voyages of Marco Polo, and Whistle Stop. So, are you saying I should just throw all of those games away now? Or, like, throw them <laughs> off my roof or burn them? Is that what removing them means? I'm saying that they are no longer the best new games. And the key word is not best, but new. So, I think the newest of those games that I removed was Century Golem Edition. But that is basically, it's not even a, uh, it's like a reskin. How dare you? <laughs> the previous version. And not even even Century Golem Edition, I think it came out in 2017. So it's a two-year-old reskin from an older game. I'm just at this point, I'm trying to make sure that the games are within the uh, the new games are the ones that have come out within the last three years, last four years. So, yes, I should burn them, or no, I should not burn them. <laughs> well, if they are cardboard-based, definitely go with burning. If there's a lot of plastic, you got to go straight incineration. Okay, good clarify. Same I mean. That is a good answer. It does hurt my heart a lot. And I understand the reasoning and I get it. But man, Dead of Winter is like my favorite game ever. So that makes me a a sad panda, if if I'm honest. These are great games. You know, for my next update, I am going to get rid of what I think might be one of my favorite games of all time, if not my favorite game, Secret Hitler. It's so good, but it's not new anymore. 
And I've like been struck, like every time I update, it's like on my like potential list of games to cut. And I always shy away at the last minute. So yeah, you know, they, so the curating the best board games is easy. Curating the best new board games. I think that that involves making a couple of sacrifices. And I'm sorry that they've hurt you deeply, Josh and Kyle. That's okay. What's the sequel to Secret Hitler, I wonder? How do they get back on the list? I don't Secret, know. I'm... <laughs> Secret Mussolini? <laughs> so how do you, you know, our listeners may not know, you do have a full-time day job that is a little different than just, um, you know, playing and writing about board games all day. So how do you go about getting, and I know we talked about this just a touch last time you were on, but how do you go about getting all these games played? And then how do you determine what you're going to swap out? Are you swapping out style for style? Like if you add a, if you are adding a Euro, do you try to take a Euro off? Or is it strictly based off how old it is? Kind of how do you get through the games? And then how do you decide what you're going to remove when you're removing things? So getting through the games, the first, that, that part is difficult. I'm not sure if I, I mentioned this at the top, but for your uh, your listeners, I live in Kigali, Rwanda, in Central Africa. Uh, my house does not have a mailbox. There's no mail system here. There's like a post center that is in the city. So to get them, I basically contact. I see what people are saying that they're really enjoying. Uh, what's really fun for a variety of different types of games, from light to heavy, uh, Euro to uh, other types of board games, just both thematically and in, in board game depth. I just see what people are saying are fun, and I ask board game developers, will you please send me your game for free so I can play it and have fun? And thankfully, like 95% of the time, they do. Uh, I then will physically lug them over when I go back to the United States to to Rwanda, which is why I only update this list uh, uh, maybe every three or four months. Usually that's when I have someone that's coming, or or I, I got, I've actually brought uh, 50 pounds of games back last month. <laughs> on a, a duffel bag, and I had to, I had to open it up at one point uh, at a uh, you know a stop here in Rwanda and explain to the security people that run the airport what all of these things were. That was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, then I th what I do is I try to play the games that people are talking about the most, and then make my own call uh, on whether or not it was fun and whether or not it deserves a spot within this list of games. Uh, Honestly, I think I take a holistic approach when seeing which games I'm adding. I look to see what games I should cut so that the list kind of feels the same, but also prioritizing getting rid of games at this point that have, that have aged a little bit, or maybe on hindsight, they're not, I'm like not breaking them out as often as I did before, or not as fun as I maybe thought they were after the first couple of plays. So, but I do try to, I try to keep a, a broad mix of uh, like party games, these like four hour long strategy games, uh, you know, like maybe light, medium, Euro games. I try to keep like a broad mix of all of them. Very cool. When is your next update planned? According to my editor, I think I'm late on my next update, but <laughs> I, I, plan, I plan on doing it next month. Excellent. Josh, do you have any questions for William at all about his list, things you have, specific game additions or subtractions you have questions about? Well, I was curious. I mean, I mean I'm looking through the list as I do. Um, and Nurushima Hex really, ah, sorry, Monolith Arena really catches my eye because I know it's a, like a 
redesign or re-implementation of Nourishima Hex. And uh, actually, I was just kind of curious. Do you think that if uh, that un- Unmatched is going to give this kind of a run for its money when it comes out? I'm not sure. I mean, once I once I play it, if I think that it can, I think if I think that the game itself is similar enough and kind of conf- competes for the spot, I might swap it out. But I loved uh, Nurushima Hex, and I really loved Monolith Arena. I played on uh, maybe like 15 games of it this year. Nice. I still love that Space Team is on here too. I remember seeing this game played at um, at PAX during the, like the last round of the Omegathon. And it's just one of those games that I really want to get a group of people together and play. There's even an app you can play with, um, but I like to see that that's still on the list as well. Yeah, the app actually came first. I um, I think uh-huh. back in 2013, I met with a developer who made the app uh, when I was going to school in New York City. Um, yeah, you guys are killing me, though. I think I'm actually going to cut that game as well. <laughs> it's so old. They're just, these are old games now. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. So, how, so are you saying since you're the the goal is to always keep the list as new as possible? Are there games that you have cut or replaced with games that are newer, though you thought the old game was a quote unquote better game? You know, if you look, you go through the list of twelve games that I recently cut. I cut mm-hmm. Clank. I cut Camel Up. I cut Century uh, Golem Edition, which I know that you guys love. Um, Mombasa, Five Tribes, uh, even uh, The Voyages of Marco Polo. I mean, these are fantastic classic games. Have I replaced them with games that are maybe like not as good? Uh, uh, no, because I've never made it bad. I've never done anything wrong in my life. Yeah, I know. I mean, these are really good games. I, I'm sad to see a lot of them go. Uh, some of the games that I've put on maybe in the last two years, I'll probably cut before they, they become old, maybe if I've decided that they're not as fun anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, it breaks my heart when all these, these great games come off my list. I really care about this list. I, I do appreciate, though, that your list also continually has games. I know you talked about, you know, previously when you were on that you try to keep it um, games that are available that people can get. And obviously some of the games on your list are maybe a little more challenging to come by than others. But I do appreciate still highlighting, you know, not that every game on the list is challenging to get, but saying, hey, here's a thing you should keep an eye on that if it comes back in print or becomes easier to get. Um, so the game kind of doesn't get forgotten about if you would um so i do appreciate that there's still those few games on there that are like oh okay so this is a little out of my price range right now but i'm gonna keep an eye on this and maybe put some little alerts on that if you know x game comes back in print or becomes more readily available i definitely want to jump in on that so yeah that's a that's a difficulty because i'm getting these games sent to me from the game designers i'll like play some of them I'll be like this game is great everyone should play this and then when i put it on my list i'm like and it only costs what 200 dollars? how is that no <laughs> who can afford this game huh yeah i mean i i think just like the first because um nemesis when i look at it because you know you oh. click on the link that's there rebel nemesis uh 204 96 and it will it's arrive sometime a... between November 27th and December 5th if I order it now. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good, though. It's like one of the best games of the year. Uh... No, I, I agree. It looks very awesome. And I definitely is a game I have on my list now 
that, you know, when it comes or if they reprint or whatever they do, if they do a, a Kickstarter or something to get another print run going, it is definitely on the list. So I still appreciate that you don't completely eliminate all of those um, because it, it gives me something to kind of look forward to and hopefully be surprised about down the line. Kyle, I can get free one day shipping on Vindication. <laughs> it's available now. Excellent. So only one hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> Excellent. So, all right. Anything you'd like to say about your list, William? Uh, I mean, your listeners should uh, check in next month when I update it, and uh, then they can email me and tell me about how all of my opinions are garbage, which I get every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> but to your listener, Josh and I do recommend the list. It is on Popular Mechanics. If you go to their site, it is the 50 best new board games, uh, and we definitely recommend the list. We have, I think, tweeted it out. It's probably the most consistent thing we tweet about, of all things, is probably recommending this list to people. So Even more than board games themselves. Yeah, pretty much true. All right. I love you guys, boys. (laughs) So topic number two, William. You recently played Mystic Veil, and it doesn't sound like maybe you enjoyed it very much, because I noticed it is not on your list of the best 50 board games currently. Well, just to continue on this theme of me with garbage opinions. Yeah, so I played Mystic Veil, and I played another two games that have very similar feels to them in the last three weeks, which are Tiny Towns, and I understand that you had the designer uh, on your pod recently, Darkana. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I, obviously Mystic Veil isn't new, but I, there's two like brand new expansions for it that I have. And now I say that they're similar because each of these three games has this kind of distinct solitaire feel to it, which is that you're almost entirely focused on your own your play area or your own deck or your own tableau, and you're doing clever things like like engine building, so that's for Res Arcana and Mystic Veil, or like cleverly navigating placement geometry for tiny towns. But the games are really self-focused. So you're really focused on on a, the board in front of you as opposed to like a shared board. Um, yeah, and I really hate to break your heart, Kyle, but I actually think that I liked Mystic Veil the least. <laughs> and I'm so you you know, last time we, uh, we talked, you brought up how much you liked the card crafting system in the game. Yeah have to agree with you because that is super fun what i didn't like was how solitary the play can feel and at this point i'm separating solitaire like where you know you're overwhelmingly focused on your own tableau or whatnot and solitary where your opponents kind of don't matter if you catch my meaning mm-hmm. and i thought that mystic veil kind of dipped into that later group uh, I mean, the game's rules ha- have it so that you start your turn as your opponent is, like, prepping their end of their turn. And it seems to me like kind of like a slight admission that you can largely ignore what your opponent is doing and focus on your own thing. And where there is player interaction, m- most of the competitions seem to be surrounding nabbing up cards from a central market uh, that your opponent might want. But, you know, for the most part, more cards are going to keep coming. Yeah, I, I think that is all completely appropriate and reasonable i think for me when i'm playing mystic veil and maybe this goes back to my days of playing a lot of magic and things like that which obviously has a lot of high player interaction but i'm one of those players who like i thrive in building the most efficient deck that i can so i look at mystic veil basically as kind of like what you were saying as an engine building game i am trying to develop and build a more efficient engine than my opponent. And we're not going to probably interact a whole lot, if ever at all, but mm-hmm. I get the joy of creating the more efficient deck, the better engine, so that when I'm playing, I am going through my entire deck on my turn every time. And yeah, we're not interacting a ton, and I think that I, some of the expansions, I think, maybe 
mix that up a little bit more. But I that's just the thing I really enjoy about it is really trying to craft the best deck that I can while I'm playing the game. Well, have you have you guys played Res Arcana yet? Nope, I have not. Josh, have you? I haven't, but every time I go to the game store, I see it and I want to buy it. Well, that is also a engine building game. Very different. Obviously, it's not like a deck building game, so it has a very different feel. But by comparison, uh, in this engine building game for Res Arcana, your actions often reverberate onto your opponents. Like uh, maybe you're giving them uh, magic materials at a cost of doing something awesome, or your actions are dependent on how many magic materials your neighbor has stored up and so on. So you're kind of like, and you're also racing to snatch away a super finite set of pathways to victory points, as opposed to like, uh, 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 you know, the, all of these cards in the central market where it just keeps getting replenished. So I can just, I can imagine, and I, maybe it's because I played Mystic Veil after I played Res Arcana, I can imagine a version of Mystic Veil where there's just a little bit more player interaction, where there's just a little bit more ways to, so you see that your opponent is building a very specific type of engine, and maybe you can in some way inhibit that or make it harder. And I think that that would be, I, I'm not saying that it's a bad game because of that, it's just I would find that more fun. You just like messing with people. We understand. But if you had to say it was a bad game or a good game, what would you say? I would say that I did not have as much fun as I was hoping to have. And because, you know, these games don't exist in a void. There is uh, what you're, the game that you're expecting to play and then how it comes out in the end. The hype versus the reality. And I think that maybe you guys hyped Mystic Veil vale a little bit too much for me. Uh, so if I have to be diplomatic, let me say that it's a trash game and you guys have garbage opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't be the first time I've heard that. So that's totally fine. <laughs> totally uh, fine. As, as for Tiny Towns, um, if you guys, you guys have obviously played this one. I have played it. I have not yet. I have it, but I have not played it yet. Especially with a low player count, this game can be so cutthroat. So for listeners who haven't played it, um, Basically, each turn, one player calls out one of five resources, and then you like have to. Everyone has to put that resource on like a four by four board, and then you can condense all those resources into buildings if they're in the right order. Um, but like the last time I played the game, I picked this strategy where I basically just overwhelmed my opponent by picking stone over and over and over again, and it like took her a few turns to figure out how to deal with all of those stones. And that was super fun. And uh, especially when the game narrows down to just like two people, because basically your board can fill up and then you're out of the game. Um, you like, you'll spend turns where you're like looking at your board, but you're mostly staring at your opponent's board thinking like, what is the worst resource I can give you? And I, I really love that about Tiny Town. Uh, that's, that's exactly what happened to me, actually. <laughs> they were, Pete, Peter McPherson was setting up a game and they needed one more person. So my wife sat down and then, he just saw me standing there and he's like, well, I mean, this game can be played with men, like unlimited people. So he opened up a new box and he just sat me down as a seventh player. And I swear people just looked at my board and what I needed and did not pick that resource ever. So I had like two wells. I did the worst I think he had for the whole day. I didn't get anything <laughs> set up right. It was it was still fun. I had a lot of fun. My wife did much better than I, but um, it, yeah, it can be vindictive, um, even sometimes on accident, but I, I really like that aspect of it. And I know there's different ways to play it where you can change how the resource decisions are being made, but 
I prefer the way in the rule book where like the the mayor, whoever has the the I think it's a hammer, gets to pick which resource is decided. I I, I really like that. I so, guess I guess what I'm trying to say is that as time goes by, I really I really I like I like solitaire like games where you're focused on your own deck, your own tableau, whatever. And I, but I appreciate them more and more if they have like truly meaningful player interaction. And I didn't feel like Mystic Veil vale had meaningful player interaction, although it did have some player interaction. Um, Azul is another great example of this type of game that I think is great. Uh, but obviously, this is just my preference. It doesn't mean that games that have stronger play interaction are better. I just think that they're more fun. <laughs> I like the the, the, the qualifier. qualifier. It's, I mean, I mean, it doesn't mean it's it doesn't mean it's better. better. It's just more fun. It's more fun. Yeah, well, for me. You know? <laughs> so, you know. When we first had William on the show, we were looking at his list of games, and there was one game on there that immediately stood out to both Josh and I, and that was Human Punishment Social Deduction 2.0. And William absolutely raved about this game, and he was nice enough to send me his copy because at the time, this game was very hard to come by. They actually just had a successful Kickstarter, and I think now folks are actually getting copies of this game in their hands again um, because of because of that Kickstarter. I think they're shipping right now. But William sent me his copy of the game, and if there's anything I think we have realized or I have realized by by our time we have spent with William, and feel free to correct me on this, it seems like you really enjoy social deduction games. That is accurate, correct? That's 100% true. And obviously you talked about Secret Hitler being one of your favorite games ever. Uh, I have to ask, is this the most complicated social deduction game you've ever played? It, I don't even know if you can really call it a social deduction game. I think it is a card game with social deduction elements. And over time, like I want to hear what you guys think about it. But I have, I, my opinions about this game have gotten stronger and stronger. But first, I want to hear the ways that you have a terrible opinion about it. Well, um, let me, in, let me inter, in, interrupt. William, it's called Social Deduction 2.0. You can't just name a game something and it makes it that. It's also called <laughs> Human Punishment. <laughs> that's true. Maybe that's the punishment. <laughs> so I was going to talk about enjoying this game, but since you hate Mystic Vale, uh, this game is trash and it's no good and no one should ever play it. That's what I think about it. That's not really true. I think this game is really good. It's very interesting, though, because... I think as far as social deduction games go, I, I tend to think that social deduction games are those games I tend to pull out with people who don't play a ton of games very often. Or if I'm playing with my regular game group, is kind of the end of the uh, night game that we kind of play when we're just kind of wrapping things up or to kick think the night off. So with this game, when I played it, I played it with people who hadn't played board games very often or designer board games very often. And that might have been a mistake. Because when you start this game, you don't know anything at all other than about yourself. Like, you know who you are and, like, what type, like, whether you're a human or an outlaw or a machine. Like, you know that, but outside of that, you know nothing. So, the people I was playing with were really were struggling with what to choose to do. Because what's the best thing to do? Do you point a gun at someone? Do you learn information about someone? How how do you have any idea where to start? And I think that's the the interesting thing about this game compared to other social deduction games that I've played 
where there tends to feel like the an idea of what the best choice to do or kind of how you start those games. This game to me felt like there's no real good way to help someone understand what they should do to start playing it. Yeah, you know, the first round of social deduction games, all of them are like pancakes. And that you're like, when you do it the first time, it's like the first one is always trash. It's always about the second pancake or the second round. Like when you break out Secret Hitler with a new group of people, uh, the second game will be the one where everyone is on the same page about what they're supposed to do. And that's usually uh, when the when the fun starts to come in. Yeah, so I really do like this game. I think it's really interesting. I think that some folks, um, without going into the, you know how all of the rules exactly work, I do I did struggle a little bit with when people get out of the game. Basically, the first person out checks all of the different statuses basically to see if there's a winner. And mm-hmm. I had people who didn't fully understand how that process worked. And I didn't even know, I like, I hadn't played it before either. So I was like, oh, I think I kind of know this is how you're supposed to do this. Um, and someone made a mistake the first time. So that was so weird. The game should have been over, but it wasn't. We kept playing, which is fine. <laughs> wasn't a big deal. Um, but I do like the fact that, you know, at first I was like, oh, player removal. I'm not huge in social deduction games that, like, you're going to have players out and it might be a long time. I didn't realize because I didn't look through all the cards ahead of time that, oh, players can come back, which is really cool and an interesting thing because then they have full information when they're coming back. Um, I do think that the idea of building to a strategy in this game where you do have weapons that you can fire at people where they can choose to reveal information about themselves or take damage. Um, I, I do think that you can kind of build this arc of strategy of what you want to do. But then there's these program cards that can change your alliance. So you can be like, oh, I'm a machine. I'm trying to eliminate the humans and I'm working really hard to do this. But then all of a sudden this this program card happens and now I'm a human and I'm not a machine anymore. So that can be a little bit frustrating maybe. But overall, I think this game is, is really good. Um, and I think, like I said, on the more complicated end of social deduction games I've played, because there's a lot of decisions to make, you can be pretty planful. It's just that every once in a while, sometimes those plans can backfire pretty massively um, with some, by no fault of your own or, or really with no um, indication that it was going to happen, which can be a little frustrating sometimes. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I think that it's a great card game and it's like an okay social deduction game. It's like a great card game with social deduction elements, but you have to know that going in. Can I ask how many people you played with when you played your last game? That was going to be my uh, next question to you. We There were six of us, so it wasn't huge. And I'm wondering what you think a good player count for this game is. Because I think rules change a little bit if you get over seven. Is that what it is? Yeah. I played with nine uh, okay. the last time I played it. And I also think that it's much better with a lower play count only because... You, you know, the cards are quite complicated and there's a lot of turn time between your turns. And because so much of the play depends on card effects and new cards you draw that you're reading through uh, and not just social deduction or deception, there's actually not a whole lot to do or discuss between your turns. There's like mm-hmm. some things that you can discuss. And like oftentimes, like, you know, when you're playing Secret Hitler or a different social deduction game, everyone is talking constantly. There's no, even if it's not your turn that round to be picking a new chancellor or, uh, or whatnot, uh, there's still a lot of discussion to be had. And this feels much more like a card game where there's a lot of discussion to be had on your turn. But then, especially if you're playing with nine people, the eight turns that, uh, that go around, not as much. Also, if you die... 
and you can't just like leave and go, you know, open a soda or a beer or something. You know that you might have to come back to the game, but you don't get to do anything. That's not super fun. That's one thing, one ding I might give to it. Yeah, and you, you might come back, you might not. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like just sit there, pay attention. Yeah. So I, I do like it. I think it is pretty different. And like you had kind of said, I think I was very focused on it being a social deduction game when I started because of the name of the game. Um, and there definitely is some social deduction. But when I started, I was in the frame of reference of how do I figure out who everyone is and what allegiance they have or, or how they're aligned. And eh, I mean, that is, a, a I guess, a fine way to start it. Um, but kind of how you said, I, I think it kind of progresses very quickly from from there of maybe not being as much of a social deduction game as you would think. But I think it's good. I think if people can get their hands on it, it's definitely going to be very different. I don't know that you can compare this to a lot of other games. Yeah, I think that breaking this out for, as you said, for a bunch of new players or people that don't, don't traditionally think of themselves as board game players, like you would with a party game, I think that that's maybe a mistake. I think if I played this game with six people, everyone has played Magic the Gathering before, everyone's excited to play a card game, I think that that is the perfect group for it. Indeed. Josh, hearing us talk about this, where is this on your list of desired games to play? I would love to play. I just, I don't, I need a bigger group. Um, like when we do play between two to five players is the most common player count. So it just seems like I would love to play it in like a, a group setting. Like if I knew I was going to a gaming event. Um, but like I brought Hail Hydra to the beach and I was like, we should try this. And then, then you have to get everyone on board with the theme as well. Uh, and that's a little more, more difficult, I think. So it's just, I think I'm in that player base and none of my surroundings are there with me. Like I would love to play those types of games, but my wife hates those games. Um, a couple of the groups, uh, players in our group don't enjoy those games. Uh, even when, when we play secret Hitler, um, which isn't very common. At least I would I would enjoy playing it more. Uh, there's still always a couple of people who are playing it because everyone's playing it. So, um, this it seems like it'd be a really good convention game, and I'm surprised that yeah. this isn't seen getting more play at gaming conventions because that seems kind of like the perfect group of people to play it with. So. All right, so moving on, next topic, topic four. It's never too early to talk about the best games of the year. And William, it sounds like you have the responsibility of organizing the board games award, the board game awards for popular mechanics this year. Is that correct, sir? Yeah, this is something new that we're doing. So since we last talked, I've taken over a column in the magazine edition of Popular Mechanics, the Toys and Games column. Uh, if you look at the magazine that's on the shelves right now, I have a column I wrote that's on like the history of magic in Dungeons and Dragons, where I talked to Jeremy Crawford, which is D&D's uh, lead rule designer. Uh, so you should check that out. Uh, and next month, you know, I talked to the Russian psychologist who invented the game of mafia slash werewolf. And he did that in Soviet Moscow in 1987, which and that was really interesting. Um, but for our December issue, we'll be awarding basically the first of the magazine's board game awards. And just due to the process of like publishing and printing, I have to have these awards in in October. So basically, the games <laughs> that are published between October and December, they just don't exist. Um, so I, this is new. I think I might do like a top three, like gold, silver, bronze, and maybe like best expansion or another category. But I want to hear your guys' thoughts on like format and also ideas for what you've loved so far in 2019. Oh. <laughs> No Josh, 
Yeah, Josh, why don't you why don't you kick this one off? <laughs> well, a format I really enjoy. Uh, I I think you kind of said it like either like uh, a one award and a runner up or like like gold, silver, and bronze is is also um, something that I like. So you're giving other people options, and then you're not. I don't think that you're feeling pressured into picking a game that's available because you're giving two other options. So like if you did pick a game um, that is hard to come by, at least people know, well, we can try this one, the second place one, because I can get it at target or whatever the case may be. Um, the one, if I had to give a criticism about a lot, some of the game awards out there is I don't necessarily agree or like that they put in a lot of peripheral um and supplementary awards um that seems like a different genre to me when you for me like when i'm looking at board game awards and maybe it's closed-minded of me but i'm just kind of looking for board games um in the in sometimes the categories are too open like you have games like everdell competing against maybe games like jaws like strategy games don't necessarily always get sorted into in my mind the right categories i think when we look at like origins or dice tower award nominations like there's a lot of games competing against each other that aren't on even ground um so i think that would be something that i don't know that i have the answer to it but that would be something that um would be nice to see a more defined um, group of nominees for things I know the game of the year, obviously, it's you can't really separate those out, but um, we see that in video games too. Like Forza is not going to beat The Last of Us in the game of the year category. Nor should it. Nor should it. <laughs> um, uh, as far as games of the year, uh, I, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but really, I really enjoyed Jaws a lot, a lot more than I expected. Um, probably because of, by from who it's by like i just i shouldn't have a bias against them because i really enjoy their games but like playing a prospera hall game it seems weird because you're not like attributing it to a specific designer it's like to this group of like this think tank of people who are like what is a good board game and how do we make it and then like eight people are like well i like you just picture like that boardroom scene where everyone's like rah, 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 rah. And then they come out with a game like Villainous, which is incredible. Um, and I wish I played the expansions to include them on a, a, a list of games I think were great this year. Um, but I'm just collecting them at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think it's hard because, you know, and Josh and I have talked about this before, like for board games is how do you determine what is a 2019 game? Is it just that it came it came out in the U.S. in 2019? I, I, and how do you kind of figure that out? Because I think you know, Wingspan seems like the kind of easy quote-unquote answer to that is the best game of the year. It's the game that it is very, very good, but it also is kind of, you know, taking all of the press, if you would. Um, but is it if it's a reprint, does that count if it came out this year? Um, and I think that's kind of the hard thing. And I'm usually, geez, six to 12 months behind usually, like on my games. You know, I'm really excited about playing root this fall but that's because i backed the kickstarter the second kickstarter that they did but that's a 2018 game but it's kind of like a 2019 game because you really haven't been able to get it since it released in 2018 like if you weren't in on that kickstarter no one's really gotten it since then so 
I think that's always the hard thing, but I feel like Wingspan is kind of the game right now that everyone seems to be talking about for Game of the Year. It is a really excellent game. Um, and I, I, I don't know what, at this point, I would put above that. I really like the Pearl Brook expansion to Everdell, because Everdell was probably my favorite game like last year. Um, but outside of that, I, I, I'm trying to think of games that I've played that I would say, oh yeah, this is the best thing that came out that was actually published this year. Yeah, so two, I guess two points. The first is, Josh, would you rather see them as opposed to gold, silver, bronze, like best strat, or maybe something like best heavy game, best light game, like something like that, best strategy game, uh, uh, an award to be given out that way, or just like game of the year, run and then runners up through whatever uh, mechanism is deemed the, you know, what makes a party game slightly better than the strategy game, et cetera? Uh, I mean, I think. I either work, but if if you have categories, it's more um, like directed. Like I can open up your game of the year list and look for best family game if I'm a dad with four kids, um, which is one thing. But you're that's like a for niche audiences. Like you're not you might not get someone who uh, pays attention to every category. But if you did do just a game of the year and maybe a runner up, then yeah, you're gonna get you're everyone's going to look at that. So um, I don't I don't know if I have a good answer for you. I, I would like to see both, to be honest with you, but I'm, you have to do all the legwork. I'm just <laughs> I'm just a person reading it. Hmm. Yeah, the only thing is for my column, I usually only have like 700 to 800 words. So I guess I'll just have to see what makes sense within the uh, within the format. That said, all these questions about what counts as a 2019 game versus a 2018 game. The beauty is I get to decide. So you yeah. guys tell me what you think <laughs> is the best game of 2019, and it, it can qualify. <laughs> that's yeah, and I agree with Kyle because that's tricky. Like games I played for the first time this year was like Tokyo Highway. Everdell, Fog of Love, which I kickstarted five years ago, <laughs> and it took four years to get to me. Uh, uh, like, there's a lot of games. Uh, Noctilica, I absolutely love, and I don't. I don't even know if it came out this year. I just know that I played it this year. So I agree with Kyle on that um, as far as that aspect. But the problem I think with that is th- people who have played that game two years ago are going to be mad. <laughs> And I know that that might not matter, like, in the grand scheme, because it's your list, but, like, uh, I don't know, reaching the certain audience might not be just Kyle and I. (laughs) Right. Uh, You guys are definitely my audience. I got an audience of two. (laughs) So so right now, I think I want to include Nemesis from Rebel Games and Wingspan, although I don't know which one. I, I honestly don't know which one I would say would be better than the other. And then I have like a couple of games that are on my table right now that I'm going to play before October. Uh, I have Pax Pamir, I have Jaws, I have Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle Earth. I have the expansion for Viticulture, Visit from the Rhine Valley pipeline. And then this really interesting sci-fi miniature games called Core Space, which I'm really excited to break out. And then Doppelt Soclivia, uh, or Twice as Clever by Stronghold okay. Games. So those are all those are all games that I've heard a lot of hype about, and I want to go through them, and maybe I think I might have some some real winners for for this year uh, somewhere in that list. Yeah, um, I've played Twice as Clever, the app. I haven't played the physical game, um, but I really enjoy that one. Yeah, 
I'm trying to think. I, I feel like I have a number of Kickstarters I'm supposed to get in the next month or two. Yeah. Um, and actually, I just I do have Edge of Darkness, but I haven't played it yet, so I got to I got to get on that. Though initial initial feedback is is maybe not super stellar on it. I, I'm still looking forward to playing it. So, <laughs> I just, and it's not like it's bad. It's just not you know setting the world on fire. So it's no Mystic Veil. Vale. It, it's no Mystic Veil. Vale. <laughs> Come on, John Cla- John D. Claire, let's go, let's go. So, all right. Anything? About, so, are you for your board game awards? Are you thinking, I know you asked us a little bit about it, but are you going to do a thing like, you know, the Dice Tower does where they have 12 categories? Or are you thinking it's going to be more, you said only 800 words, so like more like three or four categories? Are you going to include any tabletop RPG stuff or accessories or anything like that? Yeah, so I think it's all in the running. I mean, so Core Space is, I think, a tabletop RPG. This is probably a more accurate descriptor of it than a board game. Um, right now, I just my preliminary idea was just like maybe four or five awards. So top three, with the number one definitely being like the newest expansion to Uno, and then best expansion, uh, and then I don't know, maybe some other category, something else, maybe maybe something from the RPG world, like uh, uh, as a, as a, a optional uh, fifth award that I could give out. Very cool. Well, we will definitely keep an eye on those, uh, and obviously, I'm sure we will talk about them on the show. And maybe we'll have you back on so you can defend your winner. Like you have to defend everything else on the show when you come on, which I'm not sure why you come on because we ask you a whole lot of questions and we're like, defend yourself about your, about your decisions. But look, I just want all of your listeners to know that if they think that I may have misstepped or they disagree with uh, something I picked that I will fight them. (laughs) Yes. I think you, you mentioned that the last time you were on. Luckily no one has (laughs) challenged that. I mean, it's really it's easy to it's really easy to say you're going to fight them when you're you know living in Africa currently. <laughs> hey, speaking of Kickstarter, yeah, all I have to do is spend a thousand dollars to get a ticket here, yeah. <laughs> or wait three months until you come back to the states. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of Kickstarters, did you guys see the Richard Garfield Kickstarter? Oh, the trivia game. Yeah, him and Ken Jennings. Yeah. <laughs> it's called oh, Half Truth. Yeah, it's really interesting, but I I didn't know he's been working on it for ten years. Yeah, so, he, he actually, outdated trivia. <laughs> he actually did a interview on this week's uh, Game Informer show on their podcast. It was him and Ken Jennings did an interview about it. Um, that's actually really interesting. It it has a twist on trivia in that for every question there's multiple choice answers, so there's six answers and half of them are right. Yeah. So you, if you just get one right, you're in good shape. But if you want to push your luck, and so it's got like a little bit of a push your luck aspect too. If you can try to get two or all three of them right, um, but if you get, I think if you get any of them wrong, you don't get any points or something similar to that. So it's it's an interesting take on trivia. I'll be very interested. I haven't looked at how well it's doing on Kickstarter. Is it funded at this point or no? I haven't even checked. My buddy sent it to me on Facebook, and I didn't. Okay. I, I didn't look at it. But then I was like, I should because of who's doing it. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a trivia game fan, William? Um, a little. I like trivia night. There's a trivia night at a local pizzeria here that I attend occasionally. I, this game looks awesome. I'm really excited for this, and I'm seeing on Kickstarter it already is uh it is pledged so i might 
just email my boy Ken and see if he might be able to send me over a copy. <laughs> Your boy Ken. Oh, goodness. Okay. Final topic is we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been playing recently. I know, William, you said you had a couple games you wanted to talk about. Hit us up with them. We're playing uh, video games, you mean? Sure. That sounds good. Video games, board games, whatever games you'd like to talk about. Yeah, so the, on board games, I mean, the, the most recent three are Tiny Towns, uh, Mystic Vale, and Rezarkana, which which we already spoke about before. Uh, I just stopped playing, uh, and I'm going to say stopped playing, a, a video game that I spent a horrifically embarrassing amount of time on in a single run, which is RimWorld, the survival simulator. Have you guys played this? No. <laughs> I've not. I have heard of it, but I have not played it. I, it is, it, you know, I loved it, but... I was able to dump so much time into playing it that I, when I finished it yesterday, I finished like a single run where all of my my colonists managed to escape this planet. I uninstalled the game from my computer. Like I finished it, the credits ran. I'm like, all right, done. And I uninstalled it. And I recently did the same thing for the, for the most recent Civilization game. Um, I just, I have enough willpower to remove these games from my life, but not enough to put them down when I start. So I have to be cautious that I don't get home from work. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't plan to spend five hours playing RimWorld. Uh, so I would, I would say your, your listeners should stay away from it. Honestly, I feel a little bit like Galadriel denying herself the one ring of power, which is that I desire these games with like a terrible fury, but I know in my heart they're just too much for me. So that's, that's what I've been playing recently on console. Steam review. I started playing at 7.45 a.m. and five minutes later it was midnight. <laughs> <laughs> okay it looks interesting what can you what kind of game would you describe it as it looks a little like stardew valley-ish it's it feels a lot like stardew valley uh so basically you have a colony uh somewhere on this planet that your spaceship crash lands on uh and your job is basically to build this colony up and either have it survive indefinitely or advance technologically to a level where you can put together a starship and basically zoom everyone off of this colony. Uh, the thing is you have little characters that, you're the, that are part of your colony and you have to keep them fed, you have to keep them warm, you also have to keep them happy. And all of those things are extremely difficult. So you're farming and you're also making sure they're not like jealous of their neighbor, that their neighbor has like a better bedroom than them. And then like one will get dementia and the other will like lose a limb. And so you're, you're developing prostheses to like replace everything and moving them all around. It just, it's extremely detailed and complicated uh, a survival uh, game, uh, survival simulation, I guess. And um it's really difficult too, but very fun. It's so easy to sink hours into it. Just stay away from it. Stay away from it. <laughs> oh man, oh, I, I always I mean I have a problem keeping myself like clothed, warm and happy. So I, I always struggle. I get so stressed out in video games when I have to do that, or board games when you have to like feed your people. I get so stressed out at that mechanic. Well, in this game, if you don't keep them happy, like bad things happen. They get stressed, and then when they get stressed to a certain point, they might like start to do like a sad wander, where they're now like wandering around the board, and they're not able. You're not able to delegate them to like grow your crops or tailor new clothes or like take apart the robot that you fought. 
Um, or if they get really unhappy, like they'll like try to leave the colony and then you have to arrest them and then they're fighting you. And then you, you care about this colonist because you've, you've been playing with them for the past two weeks, but now you're shooting at them. It's just, it's just really sad. Josh, this seems like a game that you would play. Am I wrong? I don't know, man. I'm looking at all these steam reviews. They're really positive. They're all positive. Someone says 110.6 hours last two weeks. 110.6 hours on record. Got this game five days ago. Help. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> I, I don't know, know if you guys, I compared it to the One Ring of Power. Stay away from it. It's yeah. so good, it'll just suck you in. Yeah, oh, it looks very interesting. I probably will try it. <laughs> then I apologize. That's okay. I'm glad you turned me on to it. Oh, man. So I guess this is going to become a, a RimWorld podcast here in the next week or so. That's all we'll talk about is RimWorld. <laughs> so awesome. William, before we get on to our questions and all of that good stuff from our dear listeners, do you have anything else you'd like to chat about today? No, I think think we covered everything I was ready for. Awesome. Josh, would you want to, We do, like I said, we do have some questions from the listeners. Do you want to jump into those? No, not really. Why are you going to be like that? <laughs> Uh, these questions are for William from our listeners. The first one is at PSVG Kevin, Mr. Kevin Austin, Mr. Justin Warner himself. He says, what game are you most excited for this year, William? So if I'm just looking at the games that I have, uh, some of the ones that we talked about that I might consider for the game awards that we're going to be putting together that I've heard really great things about. I think the game I'm most excited to open up and play right now is Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth. Have you guys played this yet? No, only because of the price point. This yep. is a game I really wanted to get, um, but because I, I don't know that I'd have a dedicated group. Like, if I knew I'd have four people play every week, I would 100% invest in it, but it's probably a game I'd play once and then three months later once again. Yeah, I really want to play it as well, but I, I the price is kind of the thing that made me hesitate on it. Now I feel like an out-of-touch billionaire because I... <laughs> How much is this game? How much is this game that I'm looking at? It's like 90, 80, 80 90 bucks, something yeah. like that. Which is you, fine. You, you, like Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition is like 100 and something bucks. Like I get it. Um, but it's being app-driven, I'm also, I'm also worried about the longevity of app-driven games. Yeah, I hear you on that one. Um, well, regardless, I'm still I'm still excited to open it up. And then I think second to that uh, is a very interesting game I have that's called Pipeline um, that's gotten a couple of rave reviews. Uh, you know, a couple of months ago, there was a Reddit thread on our board games where people were talking about, what's the, what's right now, what's on their list of game of the year? And like a couple of months ago, I immediately started looking up all of the games that people were listing, and Pipeline was one of them. So I'm excited about it, to open that up as well. Yeah, I've seen it. It looks pretty cool. Uh, 99.95. Oh, so it's 100 bucks. Okay. Yep. I have another game here, which is just a pile of gold doubloons. I don't know if you guys can talk <laughs> that or can afford it. Well, and that's the thing that's like, that's the thing that it's like, it's not that I, it very We've well both might spent be, over a hundred dollars. Yeah, <laughs> it might be worth a hundred dollars, but just kind of like Josh, it is one to five players though. So maybe I should jump in on it. It just, I can only afford so many hundred dollar board games and I've already bought multiple this year. So that's kind of been my hesitation as far as it goes. So. Yeah. 
<laughs> I hope it's great, though. I really hope it's great. And then if I know it's great, maybe I'll buy it. Okay. You guys mentioned earlier also Vindication. Is that all? That's also a game that's hard to find slash expensive that you guys haven't played. Yes. Yeah. But I've heard great things. I may let's we'll talk offline. I might see. I have a copy of that that I sent back to the United States. I, I might see if I can send it over your way. <laughs> well, try and stop us from letting that happen. <laughs> okay. Next question is from Super Listener Splig at Dopalicious on Twitter. He asks two questions. First one: How excited for the Root app are you? Um, I, I, I so you said that you like Doppelt So Clavier, the the app version of the board game. Yes. And but you don't. If you had the box copy, if you had the board game, would you still play the app, or would you prioritize? I think. Uh. Guns, I have both. I have Gonshon Clever and Twice as Clever because I can't say that one. Uh, uh, I think those games are different because I'm more I'm relying on that to do the math for me. Uh, I I really think I would mess that game up playing physically. Um, for so so the root app is a little different. It actually looks like a full fledged video game almost at this point, um, whereas. I have the Mystic Veil app. I'd prefer to play the physical game if I have the choice. Um, but I think the beauty of these apps is like not being around a board game or having the space to do so. Um, but there's also terrible app uh, games out there. Like the app for Seven Wonders is awful, and it's not going to gain any new board game purchasers by playing that app. So I also worry about apps like that. Or the pandemic one, or the pandemic physical game on the Xbox. Yeah, then I think I'll wait till the root app comes out, and I'll see whether or not it's like an adequate or like a good or an amazing port of the game, and then I'll download it based on what people are saying. But, yeah, I mean, I love playing root. I, I I don't just the the experience of being around a table with friends. You just can't beat that. That's that was my favorite thing about playing root. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree with you. The board get the like people get worried in the board game community about digital games like like impeding on their territory but i think i think they can stand alone because you don't get that same social element which is what i love about board games okay and his second question is um clank legacy is getting super high praise is it gonna make your list Uh, i guess you have to like speculate on that (laughs) Yeah, I'm still waiting to get my copy of it, but I, I mean, I loved Clank. I would love to see how they take the, you know, turn it into a fantastic legacy version. You liked Clank so much, you took it off your list. <laughs> you guys are killing me. <laughs> hey, that's Jess Kyle. I am, I am Team Team William. <laughs> yeah, uh... Kyle. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Hey, I can't let everything just go to your head, you know? I gotta gotta keep you... Kyle's a Team Jacob people. guy. Yeah, Team Jacob. <laughs> Whoever Jacob is, I'm on his team. <laughs> so, um, one quick other question for you, William, before we wrap things up. Have you played Go? Yes, I have. So, I, I need... Here's your chance now to get me back. Um... Is this game like way harder than I, I think it should be, or am I just really, really dumb? 
It's it. one of them. I mean, it's harder than chess. So chess is also, you know, easy to learn the rules, but very difficult to play. Right. Yeah. Uh, there is more strategy in Go. And I mean that only because it's harder for computers to mimic than it is in chess. And I love chess. I've been playing a lot of chess recently. I started a chess club here in Rwanda. Um, but man, no, I mean, I also, I'll play Go against the easiest level of a computer. And I, I'm, you know, I play board games. It's like a, a gig that I have. It's, it's part of my job. Uh, and the easiest level of computer will just whoop me. So okay. no, we're, we're together on this. Whew. Whew. Thank you. Because man, I have been playing since we recorded last week. And I talked about how I'm going to keep playing Go and play it every day. And I have been, and I feel like I am not getting any better. My goodness, do I stink at that game. You know, honestly, for these games that have such deep levels of uh, strategy and history. So with chess, I recently finished two books on chess, which really like improved my game immensely. If you're really struggling with Go, I'm sure that there is like like a hundred page like beginner's guide to Go strategy that just change will change the way that you think about the game. I found that with chess, I improved better when I just thought about the game in a different way. Hmm. Maybe I will. Maybe I will find some Go books. And start reading about it because I haven't really wanted to get better at a game as much as I wanted to get better at Go in a long time because my goodness am I bad at it. <laughs> so getting better would be winning once, right? At this point, yes. Winning <laughs> one time would be getting better at Go for me. It's true. I'm so bad at it that if I didn't play it in an app, I don't think I would know how to score it correctly. I know what you're supposed to do to score it, but I don't think I can look at the board and totally understand oh, this is exactly how the scoring would go. So these, you know, white would get the points here, black would get the points there. I don't think I could do that accurately at this point. So without the app, I don't know that I can play Go and actually score a game correctly. I don't want to leave you hanging, so I'll share with you that we played Harry Potter Defense for the Dark Arts last night, and my wife, not only did she destroy me, but she made a mockery of me. She <laughs> ran that game like she designed it. And, and she kept looking at me feeling sorry for me. I saw it in her face and I said, stop it. It's okay that you're winning. She just destroyed me. Who, who was she? She, well, you play a house. Right. So she was Ravenclaw, but she had plenty of allies on her side that kicked my butt. All over the practice arena. <laughs> so you were Hufflepuff? I was Hufflepuff. Of I course, was... you were in last place. That makes sense. I don't. There's nothing surprising <laughs> about your story. <laughs> yes, I did terribly. <laughs> Is that going to make it on your favorite games of the year list? I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Then why uh, didn't you recommend it for one of the best games for Popular Mechanics? I don't know. I was on the spot. <laughs> I get a yeah, win I'm sorry, Josh. You had one chance and you blew it. I'm never going to put that game in any of my reviews. That's okay. You're you're missing out, not me. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, hey, William. Thank you so much for being here this week. We do love to leave our listeners though with a recommendation or something else we're doing that's not game related so as our guest would you like to give your recommendation first or would you like to us to give ours so you can think about yours no i think i have a recommendation i, I would think love to hear it should sit down turn off their devices and read a good book i'm reading mm -hmm. lord of the 
Rings for the first time. Uh, and I just finished uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. And it is just such a joy just to like disconnect and like to dive into this, this fantastic novel and uh, you know, the great fantasy world that Tolkien put together. So read a book and specifically read Lord of the Rings. All right. Lord of the Rings, read it. I actually, I think in my house have four different versions of Lord of the Rings, or I should say four sets of the Lord of the Rings books. My wife's a fan. I've never read any of them, but maybe I should remember. Oh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, Josh, your recommendation, sir. Hi, mine recommendation is something that not everyone can do unless they want to pay money. But um, I just started watching Titans on the DC Universe app. And I have to say, I don't know what the DCU can't get right because Greg Berlanti and the Berlanti verse, all of his TV shows, he knocks it out of the park. If you liked The Boys on Amazon Prime, which was like a gritty, like violent uh, superhero genre, like Titans really comes across the way you want a Batman show to come across. Like very dark, very gritty, but he's not like as opposed to violence as Batman is. Um, And you're also introduced to a lot of characters that mainstream um, comic book fans won't no um which is nice uh it really caught me by surprise it's us each episode they're an hour long solid drama with some action uh very good very surprised i thought i was gonna hate it because uh most dc things have been terrible uh, and coming off of Aquaman, I just assumed I would never like anything ever again. So I'm glad the Titans redeemed that for me. <laughs> awesome. All right. My recommendation, uh, also, you, I te- guess technically you have to pay for but it seems like everyone has Netflix. So staying in true form, I'm going to recommend a documentary. It's called Screwball. It is about the biogenesis scandal in Major League Baseball when all of the baseball players got... Um, suspended for using performance-enhancing drugs. This is when A-Rod got wrapped up in that. Um, And it's basically just a story about how that situation happened and how the news story about it broke. The best thing about this documentary is that they're obviously, or I shouldn't say obviously, they are interviewing many of the people who are involved in the situation. But like most documentaries will do reenactments of things that happened, this documentary does that. But the reenactment is all kids dressed (laughs) up like the people that they're playing and doing lip syncing to what the people in the documentary say. And keeping in mind some of the people, you know, we're talking about performance enhancing drugs. So some of the people in it are people who are like bodybuilders and really buff. So these are kids wearing like sweatshirts stuffed with things to give them (laughs) muscles and things. And it sounds ridiculous and like it shouldn't work. But for whatever reason, it really, really works. So the entire documentary, you'll have an interview with one of the people and then it'll flash to a flashback and his kids running around like doing all of the flashbacks. But it's really interesting to find out how this scandal broke. Um, And when you and I'm not I don't want to spoil exactly what happened, but when you hear about how easily the entire situation could have never come to light, that it's kind of mind blowing about 
the fact that this ever we ever found out about biogenesis and the scandal ever became a thing because it's it it really was something very very simple that caused all of this information to come out so that's screwball on netflix highly recommend it even if you're not a baseball fan uh, i think it's still a really well done documentary so nice all right and with that thank you so much for joining us this week again william where can folks keep up with you and all the things you're up to they can pick up their uh, the latest issue of Popular Mechanics in their uh, grocery store or wherever else it's found, uh, and they can follow my column, or they can tweet at me on Twitter. I'm at Herkovitz, which is spelled with a lot of consonants and a couple vowels, uh, and tell me that my opinions are trash. So, either one. <laughs> or invite them on your podcast and tell them that on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh, what do you say we wrap this show up? Thanks for joining Thanks us, for joining everyone. Us. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with Fiji, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with Fiji. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form or you're not feeling social media, please feel free to send us an email at boardwithvg at gmail.com. We tag our stuff with hashtag Board with Fiji, so please feel free to use that hashtag. Let us know what you're doing on social media. Whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed, the Dice Tower Network feed, or our very own standalone board with video games feed. You can find me on Xbox and PlayStation Network at Why So Serious. That's S-I-R-R-I-U-S. Kyle, where can they find you? You can find me on all the usual places, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, BoardGameGeek, all at PsychoCross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As a reminder, Metafall is going on right now, and we'd love for you to go ahead and enter. We're getting down there. Only a few days left to enter by the time you hear this. So head to bit.ly slash Metafall, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash M-E-T-A-F-A-L-L, as we would love to have you enter and win some awesome prizes. And next week is episode 100. Man, that's kind of a big deal. Who would ever thought we'd get to 100 episodes of this little show? And as part of PSVG's September to Remember, we're going to have some special announcements for episode 100, so be on the lookout for that. Again, a big thank you to William Herkovitz for joining us this week. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.